What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible? The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom? They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child. We really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. Hey, thanks for joining me today, Rafa. I'm, I, you know, it's going to be a good podcast when I, when I open my Zoom and there's like a portrait of Tupac and I'm like, um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, uh, that is, this is my standard kind of backdrop. People think that I'm, that I'm using like a, a filter and it's like, no, this is a painting that I bought of Tupac. Uh, I love it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's not for everybody. But when people like it, I'm like, you're for me for sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I think you, my face probably lit up. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's awesome. I I love the I love the painting and the uh, the crown is super reminiscent of the famous uh, portrait of Biggie. Mm-hmm. Right? So Biggie has this painting where he's I'm sorry a, a photo where he has this crown. Um, so it's really interesting. And that, and actually that crown, plastic crown that the photographer used as a prop, I think just went on Sotheby's and it was like $600,000 that it went for. It was like an $8 plastic crown. Yeah. That's crazy. That's really crazy. Well, I mean, beyond your impeccable taste in art, why don't you tell everybody (laughs) a little bit about who you are and why we're sitting down and talking today? Um, Just give us a little bit of background. Sure. So my name is uh, Rafael Diaz, better known as Rafa. Um, I, uh, there's a lot of, I guess, positionalities that I serve in, uh, but I'll give you the high level. I, uh, I'm a, a, a member of the Judson ISD School Board, uh, representing District 7, which is uh, an at-large seat. Mm-hmm. So the district is actually unique within San Antonio because it's one of the few, if not the only one, that has a blended model. So we have five single member districts and two at large. I hold the at large seat. Um, I work in ed tech. So I'm an executive at a company, been doing it for about eight years at two different companies. And we focus on adult learning. So the population of folks that that we help serve are adult learners who usually don't have a high school diploma, uh, require upskilling, workforce development, low level literacy, so I've had the good fortune of being able to do that for about eight years, first with the GED testing service, who's the steward of the GED test, and now with Aztec, where we built out these resources and an LMS to help serve everybody from a local nonprofit um, up to state agencies, adult basic education providers, departments of correction, um, super gratifying work. I'm a dad. I... Uh, I have my my little soon-to-be five-year-old Catalina, my soon-to-be four-year-old Rafita, 
and oh then my god and they're beautiful children thank you oh my god they're so cute thank you and uh and not many people know this but we have a third on the way marisa is oh i'm assuming you didn't know either i didn't know that's oh well there you go it's probably the big reveal in a sense um, yeah that's amazing yes. so happy for you guys thank you so marisa is actually about seven months pregnant uh, <laughs> I know it's because it's all Zoom world, right? So well, I was see. just gonna say, like, how in the world seven months pregnant? I have no idea. I, I feel like I've seen her a lot of times, but you're right; it's over a Zoom screen. It's it's usually over Zoom. Um, so yeah, so baby BS number three should be here in in mid June. Oh, I'm super excited. Uh, I have the the great honor of being. Marisa Perez Diaz's husband and chauffeur and bagman. Um, they usually just call me the husband. So I usually introduce myself as I'm, I'm Rafa, Marisa's husband, which usually, you know, gets people to talk to me more. Yeah, uh, it works. That works. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just all around, just kind of into a little bit of everything here in town and across, you know, the ecosystem and where I serve uh, across the country. Yeah. That's really awesome. I'm I'm so excited to talk to you. I think it's really interesting how all of your lines of work sort of collide around edu- yes. the education landscape. Yeah. Um, and I bet that it gives you some really good perspective on like what the needs are in in how we're. Um, I mean, I guess this this might sound depersonalizing, but sort of how we're producing the workforce in our education. You know, I and I don't I. I feel like that sounds like we're depersonalizing it a little bit, but at the core of everything, we really are preparing the next generation of all the things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, to, to some that might sound like depersonalizing, I think it just adds an additional layer of context. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, throughout my entire work, especially because a lot of my function when I started and, and even heavily now is government relations, public relations. And I always try to tell people, you know, we're, we're producing a product um, for intended for post-secondary. And I always make the distinction or, or better yet the clarification that post-secondary doesn't just mean a four-year college. It's a community college, it's a credential program, stackable credentials, certification programs, anything beyond that high school diploma. And then we're also training and, and producing a product for the job market. And right. hopefully good paying middle skill jobs and above. Right. So making sure that that, you know, our scholars of all ages, including adult learners, which I think are incredibly underrepresented in the conversations, as evidenced by the by the low amount of you know budget and support that they receive. Um you know, that has to be a, 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 a part of the conversation because we don't want them to go into jobs that, you know, are tough to get out of, um, don't provide them the upward mobility and, you know, the, the, the basic infrastructure to be able to have a sustainable life and, you know, hopefully help change the, the generational wealth issues that are so prevalent in, in specific communities um, so, you know, I, I agree with you, um, but, yeah. and I'm sure you agree with this cause I, I hear you talk about it all the time that doesn't take away from the, 
from the humanity of it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. It, it almost gives you uh, a different sense of urgency to think through like what we're doing matters beyond right. the year that you spend with your classroom, right? Like it matters way beyond that. And we're really building I mean, I, I've been spending a lot of time talking and researching and thinking about student agency and what that might mean and how it couples with grit. And I think like in my personal experience, I've been like in my family, um, we had a really strong narrative of grit and work ethic. And it now, you know, being on the other side of of my early 40s and spending a lot of time in classrooms and spending a lot of time in thinking and ending conversations, I realize and recognize that I was really raised in a narrative of bootstrapping. And for okay. my family, my immediate family, that narrative makes sense. But when I look at like beyond my immediate family to my big picture family, it doesn't make sense for as many people as you would think it would, because my my extended family are hard workers and they want what everybody wants. They want to be successful. They want to raise, they want to raise kids who are successful, but it hasn't like, we haven't been able to make the big circle jumps that you might think when you think of like the American dream and building personal wealth and bootstrapping your way through out of impoverished circumstances. Like it doesn't always work like that, but but we are, we have the power to help students tap into Yes. that ability of circle jumping, right? Yes. I do. And, and everyone gets better if our students leave our system ready for the workforce or ready for their city or ready for, you know, well-informed um, and civically engaged. Like everyone is better for that. So there is a level of like, there are outcomes that we need to produce and we should be hyper monitoring those because it matters so much. Yeah. It matters so much. And I would guess, but you can tell me I'm wrong, that seeing and working with adult learners who haven't had the support that that you would hope they have had for whatever reasons has given you like a little bit of insight into what could be done better earlier. That's my imagination. I, I could be making that no, up. And you're, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it, and, and that in itself kind of brings together my two worlds, right? My, the two big chunks of my world in the, the professional lenses and positions. You know, in working with adult learners, like they, they, they disengage from their academic journey or were disengaged, right? Either, you know, through their own actions or, you know, they've suffered a lot of like academic trauma, non-academic trauma. I mean, there's a multitude of things that impact their journey, right? And, you know, nobody nobody grows up wanting to disengage, right? Nobody, you know, nobody says like, oh, I, you know, as a, as a five-year-old or whenever we have like, you know, career day, we look up these young scholars. Um, the reality is that, 20% of all of those students, right? Because that's the, that's the number for the U.S. adult uh, population. 20% of adults right now don't have a high school diploma. They didn't grow up wanting that. Something happened. And it becomes very difficult to, like, 
re-engage them and keep them there in the adult basic education courses, in upskilling programs, um, it becomes very difficult, right? So, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, uh, it's a tough topic because I see what happens when, you know, K-12 fails them or when, you know, something in their life causes those failures that they don't have to, they don't have to be a, a lifelong situation, right? There's a pathway back into engaging and back into, into kind of tapping into that untapped potential that they have. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with Yeah. And it takes like concerted effort, right? Like it takes concerted effort yes. to keep people engaged. Um, and by people, I'm talking about like, yes, students, but teachers too. And yes. I think we're sitting in a year that is like amplified the effort that's required to keep people engaged because we're not doing things in person a hundred percent. We're not, um, we're not doing anything the way we used to do it, which has a silver lining because the way we used to do it wasn't, you know, all, it wasn't the greatest way of doing things every time. So I think we're also at a, a little bit of a crossroads where we can stop and say like, Hey, we don't have to do it the way we did it. So should we do it the way we did it? If we, you know, now's the time to, to like really stop and pause and say, well, Hey, we're going to, we've, we are already pivoting. Do we really want to go back to the way we used to do things or could, could we reimagine that? So um, I, I would hope that those are some of the conversations that school boards are having these days that maybe everybody is saying, should we go back to the way things are? Um, so I'm, I'm curious about like, what's been, what's been sort of the, I don't know if mood is the right word, but like, what's, what's it like serving on a school board during a global pandemic? If you could, <laughs> if you could put that into words. Yeah. So so for context, I've, I've served Judson for the past 16 months. I think only four of those months were outside of the pandemic. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it, it's been the most difficult, uh, both in terms of the work and in terms of like, like being, just being personally exhausted um, from carrying that responsibility. So, you know, I, I think this was a big shocker to to K-12, and I'll say specifically to school board members, right? So when you look at, at school board members, I mean, they, they represent a specific demographic. Um, I'm probably one of the younger ones, I, and I say probably, but I know I'm one of the youngest ones in the county, in the state, and I'm 37. I'm not, you know, I'm not that young. Um, That's that young. That's that young. <laughs> My knees don't think that. <laughs> uh but yeah, I think it's been a big shocker because it 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 forced policymakers in every demographic, in every community, to like really stand back and say, "Shoot, did, did we have a hole? Like, what do you mean we have a hole? What, what, where's this gap? What do you you know? How do you pivot a system that essentially hasn't been designed to be to pivot quickly or nimbly?" Um, for a multitude of reasons, right? But it's causing people to kind of face a reality uh, because it impacts them. And, you know, when, when I, and I'll, I'll tell you more about that in a second, but when I considered service in this capacity, 
it was heavily driven, not by my desire, my personal desire to serve, but because I identified and I could see that gap. Um, and I've seen it in my professional life. I mean, I've spent 15 years at the intersection of public policy, education, workforce development, community, you know, community service ever since I was with, you know, the San Antonio City Council all the way through teaching and post-secondary and onward. And it was always like this gap of, you know, policymakers, and not in a malicious fashion, but policymakers not, not always being in tune with the present and, and not because they don't want to be, but because our positionalities, our experiences, the demographics, obviously, the makeup of those of those governing bodies in any system aren't diverse enough, right? Of experience, of background. Um, so how do you, you know, how do you have a robust conversation and identify gaps and identify questions and build a culture of, of you know, inqu- like of inquiry and curiosity if everybody is like-minded? And that's very difficult because it doesn't give you that it doesn't keep you kind of, um, you know, curious and leaning into the discomfort. And that's what the pandemic causes to do at every level, like lean into the discomfort because the discomfort isn't, you know, and I always use Mrs. Martinez, the proverbial Mrs. Martinez and her kids. No, now it's, now it's impacting you in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think that's, that's where everybody is. I've seen it in K-12. Uh, I've seen it in adult education and workforce programs that, you know, they, they work with a different demographic, but they also had to say like, wow, how do we create blended learning programs? How do we create distance learning? How do we, uh, how do we continue just, just to keep in touch with learners in these conditions? And you know, how do we do it next year, right? Do we fall back into the same rut? Um, what innovation did we find? Did human experience change? Mm-hmm. How do we capture those things? So I think I think that's at the forefront of everybody's mind. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I think um, it feels so odd to, it feels so odd to like be in a moment of reflection, even though we're still in the midst of a whole bunch of stuff and we haven't wrapped the school year, but we're already thinking about shifting gears to next school year and thinking through like, how are we going to navigate next school year and the return of more students and the return to some, if, if this is even a thing, which I don't know if it is, but some normalcy, um, how does that happen? What does that look like? What happens over the summer? people need a break. How long is the break? We had intercessions. That means a shorter summer. So like there's all these layers of decision-making that has to happen. And in the middle of all of that, we, we have school board elections and school. (laughs) I mean, like it, everything is hinging on the, this election because the next governing body is the one that's going to to really impact what happens in the next coming school year. So, you know, this is my plug. Tomorrow is the last day. Oh, you probably aren't going to hear this until after tomorrow. Dang it. (laughs) We have to show up at the polls. You have to be conscientious voters. You have to vote in, in other than national elections. Like this stuff matters and it matters so much 
um, because big decisions are going to get made and the people that are going to feel them the most are going to be the students and the practitioners. And if, if the practitioners aren't, you know, if this is one place where you can really lean in and exercise your voice by voting, so you right. got to show up and vote. So you're in the middle of an election cycle. I mean, where's your head right now? How are you stra- like, how are you, <laughs> how are you like figure, why are you running for reelection? A, B, like what, what's your message to, to people who maybe don't usually vote in school board elections? As you were saying that, I was thinking like everybody has the saying, like, you know, you're, you're building the airplane while you learn how to fly it, while your first time on an airplane. The experiences for me always gets perfectly captured. I'm in a boxing ring. I didn't know it was going to be boxing. I think the bell's coming and I'm trying to think of like, do I jab? Do I move while getting hit constantly? Um, that's, that's how it's great analogy. Yeah, that's how it has been. And I can't think of my next move because, you know, sometimes I'm just too focused on like the immediate thing coming at me. And that's how it's been for governing bodies across the country, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, it has to get done. Like if, you know, if the Rafas of the world aren't in place or, you know, th- somebody will be in that spot. And that really was the driving force for me serving initially. It continues to be that because, you know, regardless of where one lives, um, all of these things matter, right? Nobody, you know, nobody's going to just say like, well, that's a Judson problem or that's a SAISD or a Harlandale problem. No, public education, the development of people is a responsibility that we all share regardless of our geographical boundaries, um, regardless if you have students in the system now, if you'll have them in the future, if you had them in the past, if you don't have any, it is a foundational system that provides that human capital for everything, right? It is, I mean, it is the best system. And people get very passionate about, to your point, the national politics and city council races because, you know, they determine your trash pickup and like sidewalks. And yeah, all these things are interconnected, but if we don't have the human capital to to develop and execute our short-term and long-term strategies and how our communities develop, if we don't have those people to, to run those things, then we're in a terrible position. Um, so, you know, what I would say is the school board races are incredibly important because these individuals that, that are elected to be policymakers have a direct impact on how your community is going to develop on the, the systems and the, the capital that's going to get produced. And, um, you know, that's, there's just no way around that. It, it, it is the most important aspect of the elections, in my opinion. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. And as I was listening to you talk and I was thinking through, you know, we've been talking, every guest we've had on this season, we've asked them, like, what's your personal mantra? And I'm sure you have one that's propelling me through the election cycle and governing a a large um, metropolitan school district in the middle of a pandemic and having a professional life and being a parent, like all of those things 
there, there, I'm sure you have something in your head that you tell your self-talk must be like out of control, you know? And if you're like me, I'm, I, I do both self-talk. Like I talk myself down and then I have to talk myself up and then, and then I usually have to go check, check myself with a friend, a trusted friend. Am I, am I nuts? Like, is this really happening? Is what I'm thinking? Am I on the right track? So I'm curious, like what's been your self-talk? What's your personal mantra for getting, navigating these, these days? Um, Alignment of purpose. I mean, that, that becomes the mantra, you know, the, uh, the litmus test, everything falls back to that alignment of purpose. Um, Because if, if I'm not, if I, if my life isn't aligned, if my mission, if my values, if how I use the gifts that, you know, have been bestowed upon me and that I've developed, if I don't bring those forward and make sure that they're geared towards something, then, you know, when I die, I'll ask myself, what was the impact, right? Did you do everything that you could? And, you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody asks themselves that in some, in some form or fashion, to some extent, I do it a lot. Like I, you know, I was talking to big shout out to Mona Lopez. She's a former administrator out of SAISD, my assistant principal at Edison High School, where I graduated from. So, you know, Mona asked me, uh, you know, I don't, do you guys sleep? And I said, well, she taught me a lot of things and sort of Charlie Munoz, the, the former principal as well. Sleeping wasn't one of them, right? <laughs> I don't think those two. I, yeah, no, I don't, I don't remember that. But the alignment of purpose is what guides me because, you know, it, it allows me to lift more by ensuring that I lift in exactly what I love um, that is interconnected. Right. Like my service, you know, as a trustee, what I believe is my greater service as just a pub ed policymaker that hopefully the actions that we take, the perspective that I bring, the thought partnership that I provide others helps the system overall. Um, That is incredibly important. So, you know, and obviously being a father to young children, like I see the importance of it. I see all of that. I'm, you know, I'm also, uh, we own a small business, right? And, and the small business that we chose to expand also has parts of that. And we're going to make sure that that small business and we already have, have a tenant that it's like, we're going to, you know, we're going to provide a service to the community, but we can also do more, right? We're involved with our educational foundation at Jetson. Um, all of that aligns because I can, I can work all day, and by and large, it doesn't feel like work. Now I put in work, but it doesn't feel like I'm clocking in and out. That's that's incredibly important. Um, yeah, and I feel like that alone helps people um, repel burnout. Burnout, right? Like I, I do think that, especially. Well, I think teaching is has always been a challenging job because it requires creativity. And it requires spontaneity and it requires like on, on the spot pivoting and it requires uh, refreshing things every single day because tomorrow you might have a new student or tomorrow you might not have the same student or, you know, you're just always reinventing and that, cre- that, that 
requires a lot of creativity and creativity can kind of be tiring when you're always in creative mode. Like that's kind of a, that you just get a little bit tired. Um, and on top of that, you also, you're caring for children. And a lot of times children come to you and they, they've experienced things in their own lives that are hard and you, you take on the, the weight of that. You know, you become like their confidant and you become their partner and you become their advocate. And so you're carrying around a lot of um, it's like a heavy lift, too. Like right. you're being creative all the time and you're taking on other people's um, trauma. It's like secondhand trauma. Right. And so that can become tiring. Um, and and then and then to layer on like teaching in dual modalities, being virtual and in person. Like that's, that's like technical skills that have to be honed. Everybody's not, you know, we weren't all ready to pivot to Google Classroom. <laughs> Google right. Classroom has existed a real long time, but right. we weren't all ready to just like, hey, tomorrow you're on Google Classroom or Zoom or Teams. I still can't figure out Teams. I freaking hate teams. I I, I actually prefer teams. I know. Everybody says that. And I'm like, I don't get it. Nothing makes <laughs> sense. I don't know where anything is. I don't know how to do anything. Why am I sitting in an auditorium all of a sudden? It just nothing makes sense to me in teams. That, that is a terrible mode, though. The auditorium <laughs> mode is super creepy. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I know. Um, but anyway, I just think like educators, we're already in a, in a, uh, a constant iteration all the time. And then in the pandemic, it like was double time iterating, like just constantly pivoting. Right. So I think when you have an alignment, when you can go back to your why and you know what your purpose is and you can tap into like, I'm part of something that's bigger than today, that's going to outlast tomorrow, that's going to impact the next generation. Like those are the conversations that we have to tap into to stay with it. And I think, and sometimes that's not even enough. Honestly, like I, I think we're in a really um, interesting place where I wonder what's going to happen next year in terms of like our teacher workforce. Is everybody going to come back? If you don't come back to the role that you have, are you going to come back to a different education role? And I think it's really important to hear from policymakers and, and from school board leadership and from other ed entrepreneurs or ed um, leaders because it also gives a path of like, even if you decide that your purpose is no longer aligned to like classroom instruction, is there another path? Because I didn't really have that thinking in my head when I was in the classroom. I thought my career was a very linear track of like classroom, coach, administrator, guy at the district. I don't know. Like it was super linear and I think it's really important to hear from people who have still um, like your root and your purpose is still in education and you've found a way to combine all of the passion you have for educational things, but you're not necessarily rooted to a campus. And I think that's like a really important perspective too. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. As you were saying that I, I, I kept on thinking about something that we touched on earlier that, that kind of, works in tandem with this, which is it's important to have those policymakers and servant leaders that understand exactly what you're saying and at the very least appreciate those things because that develops the culture of that organization, right? 
when when uh, you know when when the pandemic started going on, I think everybody was very focused on you know how do we how do we quickly arm educators to do all these things, and and I think a lot of folks forgot and policymakers, administrators, um, a lot of folks forgot that these are also parents and you know caretakers, guardians um, have a life that it's not that easy. Like you don't just give somebody a bunch of tools and direction and then just say, go, right? Because that's, that's not the sort of culture you want to establish. Right. No, I saw something the other day that said we shouldn't mistake somebody's free time as availability. Yes. And I felt like that hit me in my soul where I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what happens to educators sometimes. It's like, oh, well, you're off for the summer. So that must mean you're available to, to pick up, you know, 10 extra things or, you know, you're, you're done at 430. That makes you available to reach out to all of your families at the end of your workday. You know what I mean? Like, I I do think what you're saying is sometimes we forget that there's a person attached to that role who has like a complete personhood. Like they're, there's yeah. a whole person yeah. there. And, and I mean, and we see this in many industries, right? Where when you have free time, you almost are feeling guilty that you're not doing more. And that's, that's even, even tougher for educators, but also for all those, you know, frontline workers and non, non education mm-hmm. uh, functioning folks in the school districts, like the, oh. uh, the recognition from the policymakers and from administration that we are also working in a system that not only cares for scholars, but that has a duty to those employees and creating that, you know, is important. So how do you, how do you keep a pulse of that? Like in your role as a school board member? I mean, it's, I mean, there's like, there's like three different ways to answer this, right. And they're all right, wrong or indifferent. They're all like three or four. Um, It's difficult and it requires self-awareness. It requires, you know, checking, yourself, policing yourself, but also being able to tactfully and uh, effectively police the board, right? Because, you know, again, from my vantage point, even though not every policymaker will agree with the following, like the board has a tremendous impact on culture because they impact those administrators and those administrators impact campus leadership. And it just goes all the way down to educator, frontline worker, and then ultimately student. I've come across policymakers that they believe that is a foreign thing. That's like that they are not responsible for the outcomes in the classroom. And I think that's a terrible way of looking at it. So, you know, self-awareness of the impact that you have in your policies and how you approach things in the, uh, in the expectations that you place. Cause we're, I mean, like at the end of the day, we're all here for student outcomes, A hundred percent. but you can't, you can't just, focus on that one aspect and not consider every other factor around it because then you forget people and then you forget purpose and then you've become a machine in a machine, right? Like the system is already difficult enough, even more so for specific communities. The good thing is that the system was, was built, right? And it was built with flaws, with foundational flaws, but the positive aspect is that it could be, you know, essentially rebuilt and it can be dismantled in certain sections. Not an easy task, 
not always done at the local level. I mean, again, going back to the importance of, of elections, like there are so many actors that play a role in this mm-hmm. state, feds. But if if the, our communities, if like the proverbial Mrs. Martinez and Mr. Smith don't get that, then that's where we're losing, yeah. losing opportunity. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I was reminded, like I thought of a paradox when you were talking that I think is funny um, that we all want power and we're always in a power struggle of some sort so that we can get power, but none of us want to admit that we have power. Like it's like, oh, I don't have the power to do that. I don't have the power to change culture. I don't have the power to impact student outcomes in the classroom if I'm not the teacher in the classroom. But actually, you, you, if we could all lean into the power we really do have, things could be like monumentally different. Yes. But we don't always lean into the power that each person has individually and then what that power looks like collectively and for me and you know in because I left SAISD about four years ago and I've worked um, across districts I I am like no one wants to say they have that they're powerful and also no one wants to share their power and also we can't ever agree on what power looks like in our city And so how do we know who has it and who doesn't have it? And how could we show up collectively and exercise the power in our collective voice when we work in 17 different places? And so we have 17 different missions and we have 17 different visions. We don't have like a city vision for education or a city city mindset for what should be happening with the educator workforce. I can't even really find good data on what the education workforce looks like in the city because we don't tabulate it collectively. We tabulate it by school district or by uh, charter operator or by independent schools, but not collective. I mean, and maybe I just don't know it. Maybe I just don't know where to find that, but I've, I've looked and it's not easy to find. Right. For sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, look, if it's, if it's not easy to find, it means that nobody's played enough importance in it to try to, try to dig it out right the uh when pandemic hit i remember talking to educators and they would say like you know i work here at judson but my kids are over there or i work at you know east central and my kids go to school in judson and all the different policies all the different approaches caused an additional layer of confusion of of troubles of things that needed to be solved yet educators you know did did as best as they could and frontline workers did as best as they could and our, our auxiliary staff did as best as they could, but we didn't make it easy. We, the collective system, right? So that lack of recognition and, and, um, and placing the importance on it is a, is a tremendous problem. Um, yeah. And- but then you have people like you that are serving on school boards that can say, like, <laughs> hey, we need to go, we need to talk collectively. And I know that happened during the pandemic. I feel like the pandemic forced uh, superintendents into uh, a bigger room with each other, right? Like where it's yes, like, hey, sure. we actually have to solve this together. We are not going to, we can't do this independently. 
Uh, we need to figure out a way to make our calendars better aligned because we have parents who we need to be in classrooms whose children are not in our school district. So we've got to figure out some sort of mechanism for like even getting a little bit better aligned with each other. I think that was happening, right? It, it was. It, it was. Um, I look at the other side of it sometimes. I'm like, I wish it would have happened before. Like I, well, I wish. Yeah. That's like, like, maybe we don't need to go back to the way yeah, it was. We need to create a new way of being. Yeah, for sure. And, and it happened and, and it's great. And I hope that that continues on. Um, and going back to something that you said that sparked an idea, it's like we all recognize that we were a little more powerful and the interconnectedness of, of all of us. Um, so when, when, when I decided to serve in Judson, I had already been – Obviously, I had been vetted and in, in, in served in other capacities. So I've been on the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, and I still serve on Family Services, which used to be Family Service Association. Um, so I've done these things, right? But I remember asking myself, like, you know, do you want to serve in Judson? And I was like, absolutely. But somebody else asked me, well, like, why don't you move back to SAISD? Like, you're from, you're from, you know, Tobin Hill, and you went to Edison, and Look, the reality is I would serve anywhere. Like TEA actually vetted me, and very, very few people know this. So for board of managers, and there was a district that might need help. And somebody recommended me. I met with them a couple of times. Um, and they asked me the same question. They're like, well, you're not from this community. Why would you do it? It's like the geographical boundaries don't matter to me. I mean, the Mrs. Martinez in, you know, District A is no different than Mrs. Martinez in District B. And those scholars are no different. The goals are all the same. So, you know, I think I think policy, I think everybody really should take a step back and ask themselves, like, what's the ultimate goal? Not, not about the fiefdom, not about where you're at, but like, ultimately, would I save that person from drowning? Like, if, if it's in my city, if it's in a lake, if it's in a river, like, I would save that person from drowning. That is no different than, you know, your ability to serve, but then also understand that, like, the potential, like, you know, I'm still learning. Like, i super inquisitive, and I ask a lot of questions, not a judgment statements, but because I know that in order for me to be able to help build a better system, I have to build a better me. So well, that's so important what you just said. Yeah. And it's yeah. inspiring because I'm like, it starts with me, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I need to Absolutely. do some work on me. And then it sort of ripples out or hopefully yes. ripples out. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you look, we all sit at the collective table. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta do work. You gotta bring gifts. Um, that, and that's the way that it is. Uh, I, and I, I, and I'm terrible at sharing things because I sometimes feel like it's, you know, it's like advertising at times. But about a month ago, I got, uh, I was nominated and accepted to School Board Partners. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Have you heard of School Board Partners? I have heard of School Board Partners. Oh yeah, That's well, I'm, really I'm, great. Yes, I'm I'm one of the new fellows. Wait, congratulations! Uh, <laughs> thanks. It's uh, for the folks that are going to be listening to this that don't know it. School Board Partners is a national organization that was developed in order to provide uh, trustees of traditional, of charter, of any sort of system, additional support 
training in order to provide better governance. Um, a big focus on it is on anti-racism and equity policies. Um, so there's 25 of us in this third cohort. Uh, I think I'm one of the four in Texas, maybe five, and like LA Unified's represented Chicago. Um, uh, so I mean, it's 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 wonderful, and I and that came as a result of me literally, I literally began cold calling organizations that were education focused, and saying, hey, do you do you offer PD? Like I'll pay for my own professional development. Um, because, you know, here we have great organizations, Region 20 is a great resource, TASB, but if my goal is to kind of re-envision, re-imagine, redesign in my, from my perch, from my abilities, our educational system, I need more. And I, it can't just come from one source or you know, from one school of thought. Like I have to question everything about it in order to come to a better solution. So. Yeah. Yeah, they accepted me. And That's awesome. <laughs> so I'm super stoked about it. I mean, it's it's a wonderful group of folks. Like from day one, you could feel that, you know, the alignment of purpose was there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so exactly. it's good. And I think, you know, living in San Antonio <laughs> is so like segmented in certain ways. But we have like this Latin Southern hospitality where we love each other in a you know, we're all familia, but it's still a segmented city in a lot of ways. And so I feel like bringing your learning back from um, school board partners is going to help us reshape and rethink that citywide vision, right? Like the the mindset of you can serve anywhere. You can serve from exactly where you are, um, or you can go somewhere else to serve because we're, we're a city and we have we have a goal um, together and we can, we can like make that happen in a real way. If we actually talk to each other, like if we sit down and, and have these conversations with each other and say like, here's where, here's my purpose, not just in my personal life, but in my work life. And here are the ways that I'm trying to build that up and create this foundational understanding of the way that we've worked and the way that we could work and, and questioning the way that we should work um, that I feel like everybody gets better because of that. And, and thanks for sitting here and talking to me about it because I feel like I get better every time we have these conversations. And I feel like I know a little bit more about what's happening in, in a part of the city that I don't, I'm not always in, like, I don't, I don't live in the Judson area and I, I kind of get very, um, in my bubble. I work like three miles from where I live. I go to church, a mile and a half from there. Uh, my daughter literally goes to school next door to where I work. I mean, it's, um, my bubble is really small. So I, I do have to catch myself too and think through like, who am I talking to and who, who am I like really listening to? Um, cause I like to talk obviously. I mean, you're in good company. Uh, <laughs> the other day we were having a committee meeting and I said, I'll keep my statements short. And I could hear like, I could hear one chuckle and I said it out loud. I was like, everybody in this room is probably thinking that's not going to happen. But I, you know, I think like, and Marisa will tell you that I love communication. It's, it's the strongest tool that we have. Right. Um, And a powerful one. Like I can, I can easily tear somebody down or build them up with the same set of words. Yeah. 
So, you know, I think that's important that that communication, asking questions because that allows you to or forces you to listen is important. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a tenant of, of you know, how I operate it. And talking, I feel like talking about our purpose is really important and it's not necessarily at the forefront of every conversation. We want to dive into like policy. We want to dive into what's working and what's not working. Yeah. And we want to talk through like problem solving and figuring all the tactical stuff out and the logistics of everything. And we shy away from like the heart of the work that we do. And so having this mantra of like, am I in alignment with my purpose is really important because because there is a heart to the work that we're doing. There yes. really is a heart to the work that we're doing. And so I just appreciate you coming today and bringing that mantra to us and reminding us that there, that you have a heart for the work that's being done um, in Judson and also in San Antonio and that you support the, the heart of all the teachers in our community, Absolutely. not just in Judson. Um, the work, I think that the work that you and Marisa do individually and collectively is it's massive. And, you know, I'm proud to be your friends. I appreciate that. It's true. Like, I, I really am like, damn, these people, they, they have a, a, they know the heart. They recognize the heart of the work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we try. Marisa does a phenomenal job at it and I've, I've learned a ton from her. But when we started getting even more heavily involved in education, and I mean, she's been in, on the SBOE for coming up on 10 years now, it was very much like, all right, so we're going to dispel everything that we think we know and go into discovery mode um, because it's important. And, you know, oftentimes, and, and I'm, I'm probably in the minority of trustees with what I'm about to say, like, I have a lot of friends in the charter community. I show up to charter events. Um, I show up to other school district events. But at the end of the day, everybody's serving students. And I, and I can learn from everybody, right? Or I can provide some par partnership. So, you know, regardless of, of what the district's, uh, the, the name of the district or, you know, what flavor of it it is, uh, everybody shares this, this passion, this responsibility, this moral imperative to like, you know, serve students. And that that is another facet that's missing from our conversation in the county, right? Is, you know, how do you, how do you synthesize a better system re and removing yourself and egos and fiefdoms and preconceived notions and, and grievances to focus on that greater mission, right? And do you, yeah, do you I, purpose align? I just had this conversation with someone else that was not directly related, but you're hitting on it like so big time. He was, we were talking, he wrote a book um, he's going to be the next guest on the podcast and his book is I am not defeated. And in it, he talks about a chat in, in one of the chapters, he talks about a community. I think it was in Africa who had a problem with monkeys and they could not solve this problem. Like the monkeys were just, they were running rampant and they were multiplying like crazy. And what they ended up doing and I could be telling this so wrong. So Doug Robbins, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm sorry. I love you. I'm trying my best. Don't let the but facts get in the way of a good story. Just he, he just talked about how um, the farmers, they ended up 
um, creating these baskets and they put in it what monkeys would want. And then the monkey would go stick and they had little holes and he would stick his um, paw in and grab what they wanted. And then they couldn't take it out. And they, they were like temporarily uh, trapped because he would not, they're stubborn and they just would not let go of what they wanted. Uh, I, and, and then the farmers were able to trap them. And, and this is how they, they literally solved the problem this way. Right. And I feel like we are in that same situation where it's like, we just won't let go of what we want. And so we're stuck. We're stuck because we can't, we can't receive the new stuff with our hand clenched in a fist, unable to pull ourselves out of the thing we did. Like we put our hand in it, we held on to it. And now we just will not let go of some of the concepts or some of the constructs or some of the ideals that we think we need to have. And we just won't let go of it. And if we just like, just let go then maybe we would have a new, sure. better system. Absolutely. That's my long, that's my long butcher no, it story. was a great story. <laughs> we, we should all be better monkeys. Uh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. No, that's the more yeah, story. Yeah, but you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, <clears throat> if, um, and, it, and, and let me be super clear, right? Cause I, I don't want anybody to misconstrue what I, what I meant by what I said earlier. Like it doesn't make you any less of a champion or a steward for the system that you represent in your official capacity. Like, and I often tell people this because I'm very transparent and I often tell people this, um, like I, I'm not going to raise the Judson flag any, flag any lower or higher, but it is a true, in my opinion, a true attempt to build this system better. And, and when I say system, I don't mean just mean Judson, like public education and finding the right pathways for students. I'm super proud of that because I think, you know, in, in a small part, we've started talking more about choice and access in Judson and shifting our policies to leverage cultural wealth, student engagement, you know, re-envision things where we're putting principals through, uh, through wonderful programs to help give them agency over their campuses and then help students get agency over their, their pathways and journey all those things are important. You don't get to that kind of mindset if you're stuck with your hand in the basket, right? You have to let go. You might want to stick your hand back in the basket. Cool. Right. All good. But you have to find out what happens when you let go of it, reanalyze, calibrate, recalibrate, ask yourself if the basket is really there, like whatever it is. It Yeah, it requires you to, to, to really delve into that and and see what comes out of it yeah exactly and ask yourself like <clears throat> what's in this basket aligned to my purpose like is exactly it, and if exactly. it's not then let it go like if we're if we're beyond whatever's in the basket and our purpose has shifted then let's let that go a little bit and let's figure out how we can create a system that's aligned with our purpose and the heart of the work that we do well rafa I feel like we could continue, but my wine glass is empty. Yeah, that, that's good. So my my drink is done too. Um, <laughs> but I really appreciate it. I, I I very much appreciate you know what you've done and you know the community you've been able to to build and you know all salties right. That's that's what everybody's called. Like salties. Yes. 
I love Shout that. out to the salties. The salties. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's wonderful because it provides, you know, just like my desire to find PD outside of like the normal systems, like this provides a great outlet for people to to learn more and to provide their own gifts. So yeah. thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for thanking me. And I will say that we do have an Instagram live event tonight, the night this podcast airs. Uh, we have an Instagram live event at 7 p.m. So please let all of your educator communities know that they can jump on. We're partnering with a uh, um, Crea Creative, and it is a woman-owned ed entrepreneur business here in San Antonio. She does consulting work around arts and not really arts, arts instruction, but also just uh, like personhood and agency um, through the arts. Uh, she's amazing. She's giving away a copy of her curriculum. So if you are doing something at 7 PM tonight, you know where to find us. We'll be live on Instagram at our salt, um, page. That's awesome. Yep. I'm so. assuming it's not on my space. So <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> cool. So then I'll, I'll have to, yeah, have an Sorry. my repertoire. Yeah. Yes. You're going to have to join Instagram just okay. to join the salties. Cool. I'm on it. <laughs> Cool, Rafa. Thank you for making time. And obviously, like, best of luck in the school board election. Everybody that's listening, you got to get out and vote. Whether you live in Judson or not, it's important that we show up at the polls collectively and exercise our voices in this way because it is it is so important to the work that we're all trying to achieve. So go vote. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miseducation. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>